Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight is on Florian Richling, artist, producer, and founder of Fortunes, the data analytics app built for music creators. Based in Vienna, Florian gives a deep dive into his company's unique take on the data analytics needs of music creators and how his app actually encourages artists to dig into the learnings and act on them in fun and engaging ways. If you're an artist, on an artist's team, or are simply interested in how one company empowers artists with data analytics, this conversation is for you. How are you? I'm doing fine. Nice to meet you. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Florian. It's very nice to meet you as well. Um, are you in Vienna? Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, wonderful. How is it there right now? I mean, we've been uh, a month uh, in, in lockdown uh, and it's been pretty cold uh, recently, but um, overall, I think we're doing pretty, pretty fine on a global, on a, <laughs> on a global perspective. We're doing yeah. great. Is this, um, is this the first lockdown or are you back in lockdown? It's the third time now. Oof. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're slowly open up again. So the schools are open, but uh, yeah, stores just open again. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way to describe it. It's, uh, it. It seems like with each lockdown, the flavor of it changes a little bit, like some more things are allowed to stay open with different rules. Um, but it's very hard to, uh, it's very hard to know where you're going to be in one, two or three months. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Where, where are you based? I'm just outside of Seattle. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So we have um, our company, our headquarters, uh, such as it is, um, is in San Francisco, but we have, um, we have employees not only throughout America, but we have an engineering hub in Belarus. Um, so right. in yeah. a way we were kind of, um, we were already fairly distributed before this. Um, we still had an office, but we had, we had key employees in multiple locations. So I feel like we were a little better um, adapted to be able to handle the work from home and the, uh, you know, just the dispersed workforce. Um, how about you? Do you, do all of your people work in one place? Yeah, what you just said, I think fits exactly us as well because um, we we changed a bit. Uh, like like everybody's in home office now, or it's just me in the office because I have four kids that drive me nuts if I'm at home. Uh, <laughs> um, but so we were well prepared because you know there, there there's no rule to be in the office or you know like it's uh, people were always having sort of a remote life before. Um, we are still in house. Like all our employees are based in Vienna. We thought that, you know, at the stage we are at, we're really small and kind of young. It was important to have a, a strong core team yep. that we can, right? So, but now we are exploring remote work. Uh, and we have, yes, uh, we had one developer actually uh, from Belarus as well now. And we're kind of exploring our opportunities now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for, like for, from this perspective, it didn't change so much. Yeah. Is there, a, um, is there much of a startup scene or a tech scene in Vienna? It's a good question because... I think it's not a big scene as far as I know, but it's a very strong scene. And 
I think that we're pretty fortunate that our government and Austria per se is, is helping a lot. Like I, I, I would not have been able to start a company with what we are trying to achieve, build music data for artists. Nobody would have funded us. So we were lucky to receive, like it's called the call for innovation. It's a publicly funded, uh, like you get money, but you don't have to pay back. You don't have to share. There's no interest. So it, it's, it's a pretty healthy scene, I believe, but it's, it's rather small. I, yeah. I, I would. And did, is that where you grew up? Are you from Vienna? Yes. I mean, I'm a half German. So my mother comes from Germany, but I'm, I'm born in Salzburg, which is not so far. I mean, Austria is really small. And I spent the majority of my life in Vienna. Yeah. So I guess I need to understand a little bit. Do you come to this company and this product from a music orientation or a technology orientation? And at what point in your life did those two things intersect? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a 100% a musician. So I studied jazz drums and, and that, that brought me into production. And I've been doing that for almost 20 years. I founded a recording studio and I've been producing and managing artists and also releasing music as an artist and myself, more or less successful. I mean, I, was, I had assignments with Sony Music in Germany and Warner Music, but like uh, I, I kind of touched on many different, uh, how do you say, many different um, areas within the music ecosystem. And it was kind of an experience, like when I started as, in the mid nineties, it was, everything was analog. Yeah. So I really, you know, I, I really witnessed how digitalization took over the music ecosystem. And despite all the new opportunities like creators and, and also managers and, and, and agencies have, uh, I thought that there's a very new challenge uh, arising out of this, which is to, to handle these opportunities, like to optimize strategies, to not get lost in multiple tasks that are, might even be boring, that, that kills your vibe, right? That, 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 that kills your spirit being a creative. And that's what, um, what at the end brought me of founding the company which is kind of funny because my co-founder, Christoph, he was running digital business at Sony Music. So we, we ran into each other, me as a producer and him working for major. And we kind of, I don't know, we kind of had discussions about that, looking into the music data and analytics landscape at that time, like a few years back, we were surprised that nobody was touching creators, that it would all be dashboards. It would be very expensive. It would be comprehensive and, and, and it, it brought value to the industry. But it would get data from artists, but it would not give back the data to artists. So it would help, for example, a brand to identify a trend and identify an audience. But the artists that which data were utilized, if this makes sense, it would, they would not get anything back. They would not be able to afford it, nor to understand it because it was very technical. Yeah. So that's when we started, when we, when, we, when we were looking into the landscape, we were really surprised and that motivated us. To, to say, hey, let's, let's, let's dig into that. And if, if, if there would be a way how we could involve artists into the data game, because for my studio work, I learned very, very soon, like I think in 2014, 15, that data was like, it was a big chance of like have a leveled playing field for creators. Because if you're side of the major companies, and, and I know that from my own experience, you have a team, you have a social media manager and you have a, uh, an a and and you have a team. But if you're just starting out, you don't have this infrastructure. So I think that's where data can come in and can put you on the same pedestal to have the same chances and opportunities like the more high-profile artists. Yeah. So that was, that was the main idea. Let me ask you, but, um, 
just to go back a little bit, when you were when you were looking at the landscape of the tools that were out there, and you had you know you were talking about how they weren't really available to artists, they were more. Uh, I like the example of how a brand uses you know they integrate social data and other you know other other basically feeds and other information. Um, what were, were what were the tools then? Were they, was it like enterprise level things like Adobe Marketing Cloud? Like it was was it these big heavy enterprise level things? And was that the barrier? They were just too expensive, too complex. Yeah, I mean, uh, like back then, there was one company that had kind of like an artist centric approach, but not really, which was Next Big Sound. Uh, they sure. sold Pandora. Uh, then there was, uh, I guess they were called Music Metric. I'm not confused with Chart Metric, but I think Music Metric back in the days, they were sold to Apple. And interestingly, that all the companies that were starting like music data analytic businesses, they, they all got sold pretty, pretty fast, like within a few years. And when Next Big Sound got sold, I think it left a kind of a big gap in that landscape, which chart metric and sound charts, I think, I mean, filled very well. And I mean, where music data on a B2B level is today, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, if you are a bigger label or like IT or data analyst in a, in a bigger company for a brand or marketing, uh, you, have an amazing, you have amazing tools. Um, but Back then and today, still a bit, I guess, and that's why we are here. Um, creators miss access uh, to such tools. Yeah, and so who is the um, who's the ideal customer for your platform? Is it the creative themselves, or the creative and say their management team, or are you going in and doing roster wide deals with management companies or labels? Like, can you talk a little bit about who your customer is? So the product is really made for creators. So we really address artists, producers, um, but very purposely uh, because we believe that that's the, the, the biggest force or the, the, the force with the biggest momentum right now in the industry. We see a lot of agencies signing up recently, especially within the last three, four months. We have a lot of agencies. Um, but we really built for creators, and, and that's like a kind of a principle that we uh, that we founded the company on. Yeah, and, and so it's like from. Sorry, no, no, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just um, wanted to I just wanted to finish up that it's from newcomers. Like we have a lot of newcomers, but we have like real high-profile artists that have a whole team around them, but that still use us. And I guess it's just the convenience of, of, of how quick you can access data and understand and evaluate data. Yeah. So is there a, um, is there a sense for your, for your product and your product team that it's not something that an artist has to grow out of as their business and their career scale? So I could, I could sign up as a very fledgling artist or producer or somebody who's self-releasing or self-distributing through, you know, DistroKid or TuneCore or whatever. And then as my career grows and I become globally successful, um, your product can scale with my career. Yeah, amazing that you, that you mentioned that. Because, you know, like we sell two problems, like on a basic level. One, of course, is cross-platform accessibility of data. Okay, that's clear. But the other, uh, the other thing that's exactly what you just mentioned and that many people don't talk about, like Believe, TuneCore, DistroKid, Avo, they all have analytic platforms, right? But it's not their core business. It's like kind of an extra add-on Right, it's it's kind of a selling point. Maybe you say, "Hey, I go there because they have this as well." 
But what if you're not Bruce Springsteen, who is signed for 15 years at one label? What if you are a person that makes a feature there or maybe makes a song there, maybe releases something by yourself with DistroKid, but, but then makes two singles with a major company? Then you are spread. You, you have the Orchard Go and the Universal app, the new one, and maybe you have a publishing app from Pobble as well. You're kind of all over the place. Yeah. And a few tracks will be there, a few tracks will be there. And that's, that's something very unique at Fortunes that we don't care. You can be signed or not signed or whatever, like wherever and whoever you are, we will always follow your career and we will always offer your service because analytics and recommendations. This is our core business. We are trying to make this our core business. I mean, many people were telling us that we are kind of crazy. I told you about this public fundings. So to get those, I went to all the people I worked, I worked for before I started Fortunes, which were the major companies. I went to Universal, to Warner, to Sony, and I asked the ARs or the people I knew there to sign me a letter of intent that I could show the public uh, the people that, that would validate or give me reputation. And they all gave me this. They said, hey, Florian, of course, I'm going to support you. But you know, you're crazy, right? Nobody, like artists don't care. And they, they don't have any money. I mean, not everybody, <laughs> I have to be careful what I, what I say. Or, you know what I'm trying to say, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's a very new trend that artists want to be in the tri driver's seat because it's not so long ago where people would not assume that artists are actually want to be in that role. Um, yeah. So there's... Um let me make a couple of assumptions and please feel free to challenge them. Part of what you said implies a generational shift with artists, maybe younger artists or art, you know, let's just leave it at a generational shift. Do you see differences in um, attitudes amongst creatives by genre? You know, is a hip hop artist more interested in having this in their pocket or a DJ versus a rock band? Do you see anything like that? Extremely. And when I, when I, when I was on, the, on, on your homepage and I saw Jacob Collier, uh, that tour announcement, what I thought was, I hope that if he would discover fortunes, that he would love using it. You know, like even because if you look at like other companies out there, uh, for example, Vibrate, they make an awesome job. They're a data new company as well. They have a strong, uh, they are very strong in the life sector, but I guess due to Corona as well, they were also looking into data analytics. I think they're really strong in EDM and electronic music is what we see as well for our users because it's streaming music, right? Like uh, hip hop music and EDM, that's what does well on Spotify and, and so on, like popular music in general. But what we try to achieve uh, and, and we are getting there, we would love to address it to bands, like to really all music creators, which is, I mean, I guess a longer journey because we, you have to start somewhere. So we started as well with Spotify playlists, which are a very important part of, of the business today. But I think it's far beyond. That's why we focus as well on social media. And we focus on many other things that are not included in other social media companies because we want to address the whole, like all types of genres. And currently you see a very strong trend towards hip-hop, urban, and electronic music using and being interested in analytics. They don't play as much live, right? And, and, and that's maybe a challenge for us to get live data in our service. That's something at the moment we don't have represented at all, which would be amazing. So that's why I think these are the type of artists that do well in Fortunes. What are, what are artists primarily using the platform for? Are they trying to understand 
consumption data by geography? Are they using it to track revenue? Is there like a killer typical use case? Uh, yeah, the use case is to feel good about their music. Like when I remember myself uh, having a release, being totally emotionally invested into the work I put in the last weeks. And the, the thing comes out, like it's release day, and I'm sitting in front of YouTube and refreshing the video a few hours to see if it is moving because you're so excited. So I think a very rudimental, uh, like a, a very basic, a very basic uh, reason to use Fortunes is just to stay in touch with your music. I mean, remember the times when, we were, when, we, when you were analog, right? You would go into the studio, uh, it was expensive, so in my experience, someone else would pay. And when you left the recordings, the recording place, you were disconnected to your, to your music because the music would go to the pressing plant and then to the distributor. You would, you would lose connection. You would know what is the best song on your album when you played shows, and you would see where do people sing along. That was the feedback. It would take ages until you know. Or the, the radio promotion agency that would, I don't know, or there's a royalty statements one, one every six months. Today, you have instant access to feedback, and that's very helpful, and it's very satisfying as well. And I think that's a very, uh, very um, simple reason why people use us. And on top of that, um, it's really about um, um, strategy optimization, like understand where you, because I think the most scarce asset we all have is time. So to understand where to put your, to invest your time in regarding building a career is gold. It's, I think it's worth a lot of money. And that's where we, where, where we try, that's our angle of product development is what's the biggest hustle for artists? So where can we go from a data perspective? That's fascinating. It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's everything you said now, like understand where do your fans come from, which are the playlists that really, uh, really where my music will really fits to because i mean to, to research playlists where your music fits to is a lot of work it's hard work and it's, it, it's it's not connected to any creative process like making music it's like a different job right so we're trying to to do things you don't want to do yeah yeah that's a great way to say it um yeah are you solving um are you solving technology problems or from a technology point of view are you primarily an integrator and your, and your development or your innovation is around UX and presentation? Like, how do you think about the technology and product challenges you're solving just as a company? Yeah, I think uh, UX, and I don't want to talk bad about ourselves, but I think that's something we have to improve a lot is UX. Uh, and uh, because we are small companies, we don't like half of the team are musicians themselves. <laughs> and we're just happy to get the right tech people involved. Um, so we are, we are a tech company and uh, we should work. I mean, if you look at the service, we are just updating it now. But I think design is what we lack most, which is frustrating for, to some degree. But maybe it's really healthy in, a, in, a, in an industry where everything looks good. We don't look good, but we work well. You know what I'm what I'm trying to say, we are solid. The technology we build is solid. It's not rocket science, but it's solid technology and it has some IP to it. Our algorithms, like we have an engagement score, we have a recommendation engine that also facilitates machine stack of technology we build and we use and we build everything in-house. 
Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's, and is that, um, is that an important factor for you to, um, to own the core platform development? It was a, it, it, it was a necessity to, to, uh, to also get a chance to, to get, get help by the, um, the Vienna business agency that I mentioned at the beginning and, uh, the Austrian digital service. So we, we needed to, to go this way and it, it felt very natural for us as well. I have to be honest, you know, I'm very unexperienced in, in building what we are building. So I, I kind of treat the whole project like if we were, were a band, like because it has very similarities to, to being a band, you know, you invest a lot of time, you don't know the outcome, you don't even know when you're finished, actually. So uh, it has a lot of similarities. And that's where I come from. And that's what worked well in building the right team and getting people on board and also building a user base because I mean, we have been without spending marketing money. We have been growing a lot. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that um, uh, you know around half of your employees are also musicians. Um, is that where you get your product roadmap ideas, or are your users communicating back to you about what they want to see in the product or what they need in this tool? How does how does product development work in your company? Yeah, in both ways. Uh, so um, we are. We know what we want to build and, 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 and we, we confirm our own thoughts with doing surveys and getting feedback with our users. Um, we have a, a growing artist community and, uh, and, and also a growing premium base uh, of users that, that start paying for it and that start, they want to pay for it, which is great because they understand, they want to support us. Uh, and, and we get uh, tremendous feedback uh, and also ideas. I mean, a lot of, not all, but there are really... Mm, not only few, there are quite some musicians and artists that are very tech-affine. They love technology and they have a lot to say and a lot to offer. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. What, um, what differentiates the free tier from the premium tier? How do you uh, stratify the offering? So when we launched our premium, it was last year during the, the midst of the pandemic, right? <laughs> And uh, it was like, it really was the worst timing ever. But I mean, we, we had it prepared and we had to go for it also for our investors. So we could prove that we could monetize. So what we thought was, because, you know, to be very honest, I don't, I, I don't like freemium models. This, this, this classical model where you have a free tier, but at the end, the, the tier is just to pull you into the premium and it doesn't have a real core value to itself. So we wanted to make sure that for people that don't have the money, especially in these troubling times, we have a product that is worthwhile being used and consistently used. So what we did is we looked at the core feature that everybody uses and we said, that's going to be the free, that's, that we're going to keep that for free. So I don't know how familiar you are with our service, but the core is a feed because, you know, it's really funny at the very beginning, before we had even a, a beta or MVP or anything, we made a survey with artists and with friends because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I grew up in this community, right? So I asked people I knew and friends if, if data is important for decision-making. And everybody said yes. And then a few questions later, I asked them, how often do you look into Facebook or YouTube analytics? And the people said, almost never. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, you say it's important, but you don't use it. I mean, you want to make a living out of music, but you don't, I, that doesn't make any sense. And what we found out is that like numbers for creatives, and it doesn't come by surprise, like data and creative minds, they are kind of in some way like opposite to each other. So we were, we were searching for a way to present data without showing numbers, mm. which is tricky. 
And our solution was, and that's what we built, we came up with the idea to use something that everybody knows. You don't have to explain it. Everybody like, is really used to looking at feeds, like a Facebook feed, a news feed, a Twitter feed. It's just a twist with fortunes that not other people are talking to you. It's the services. We let the services talk to you as an artist. So you have Spotify telling you, hey, someone just uh, playlisted your song. Or you have YouTube saying, hey, somebody just uploaded your song. Yeah? Or maybe Fortunes will tell you, hey, here's your playlist weekly. You got playlisted such and such time. And the, the nice effect is that suddenly people get engaged by achievements or happening like news events. And then dig deeper into the data because now they're incentivized and now they like numbers. Now they want to know how many followers does this playlist have or which is the track position of my song on that playlist. Their perspective is totally, totally changed. And, and we saw building in the feed, we saw people suddenly starting to surf data. They would spend time just scrolling through the data and experience data. And that's the free tier. Our free tier is our news feed. That is really helpful. It saves you a ton of time. Uh, and all the screens behind that, that the feed pulls you in, that's behind the paywall. Uh, and there's just one premium tier at the moment, and it's $7.99. So uh, it's, I mean, we have a lot of growth in Latin America, and I think it's, in India as well, I think it's still too expensive, I guess, for these markets. And we hand out a lot of code so, to provide cheaper access. But I think for North America, for Europe, uh, like these are our strongest markets. It's America, England, and, and, and Germany. Uh, it's it's pretty cheap if you think about the, the time that we save and um, the information that we provide. Yeah, when you um, when you look at your business, um, can you give any any uh, any color as to how much of it is truly independent creator? You know, working from a home studio, self releasing music, or you know, uploading to a digital distributor um, versus what I would call more of like an enterprise client, maybe a management company or a label. Um, are you able to tell the difference between your client base that way? I can estimate. So I would say that we have around 85 to 90% like really single artists. If they're assigned or not, I cannot, uh, I don't know because I don't ask them. Like there's no, no, if you sign up, we don't ask you if you're independent or signed. And we don't really care. Yeah. But these are people that, that like are artists and that, that are entrepreneurs to some extent. And then we have around uh, yeah, um, like 10% are agencies. I mean, or probably artists that play in several bands and that has some similarities already. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. 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 So they look like a small roster because it's one person appearing in multiple configurations. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, What's the, what's the next mountain to climb? I, I, I know from looking around a little bit on the website that um, it seems like it's almost a never-ending job of identifying the right data sources. Is that fair to say? Like there's always some other service that wants to be integrated or that an artist is using. Um, but what are, what are the yeah. next challenges you have to solve? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you just said, identifying uh, the most needed feature uh, and, you know, there, I, I, don't, I think it's the founder of Y Combinator that said this, and I think it's very smart. He said competition is for losers. You know, we don't, we, don't, we, we respect and, 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 yeah, and I think that 
competitors that I'm aware about, I think they're doing a great job. And I don't want to solve the same problem someone else is solving. That's why even though we see more and more agencies signing up, we don't turn our heads now to B2B just to make money in a short way. And as a startup, you know, I mean, money is a big issue for us. We have to, we are, we, we have to stay above water, but we are, we are finding ways to, to get both done. Um, yeah. Um, it's, we want to, we want to build unique value. And I think what we, what, what we've done pretty well is to identify features that help artists to engage. I think, you know, if you look back a few years, uh, growth was, was the, the main metric. How many followers do you have? How many streams do you have? I think today engagement is the new currency of growth. And that's what, what on top level of our product map or how we benchmark all the features we're planning is, does this help artists to engage with fans and audience? So that's, that's what we're trying to solve is how can artists in a very time-saving and also affordable way um, engage with audience? And, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come natural to think about a data analytics service to help artists to engage. And we're not there yet. But the way how, for example, I bring a very simple uh, feature that we built that is very much used. You can take any achievement out of this feed I just mentioned, a new playlist entry, a new YouTube upload, a YouTube comment, and share it directly from Fortunes, directly on Instagram and on social media. We will auto-generate an illustration that looks nice and will enable you tag the curator and say, hey, thanks for putting me on that within seconds. So not only do you have to look around the dashboard or to the different platforms to even be aware about this new placement, no, and you don't even, you don't have to make an illustration by yourself. We catered you the information and also have an illustration ready for you so you can push it out in seconds. And that's a very good example what, about the kind of features we want to build. We want to help artists to focus on making great music because that's, in my experience, what at the end of the day will, will help you be successful. Have a good product, right? I mean, just have a good, write good music. Don't have fun writing good music and don't get lost in. And that's how I felt a few years back in the studio. I felt more and more time of like redundant, repeatingly like task of refreshing videos, looking there, new playlists there. It's annoying, right? So have artists focus on music and we take care about the hustle of data for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, I, I, yeah, I very much appreciate that sort of differentiation or that, 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 that framing of, of how the product serves an artist. Um, I've actually, you know, you talk about competition for losers. I, I've not, I've not heard the, uh, the data services packaged quite that way or articulated quite that way. Um, the idea that it would increase the engagement of the artist with the, with the data or with the knowledge is, um, I think that's a unique take. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the problem for creators is, and it's not, I think it's not limited to, to music creators. I think it's a, general, uh, it's a general thing that it's hard to trigger engagement across platforms, right? You're using many platforms and it's hard to be like really well on all of these platforms. Some people focus on Facebook, some people focus on Instagram, some are big on TikTok, some people stream on Twitch. But it's not only video streamers on Twitch. No, there are podcasters on Twitch as well. There are artists on Twitch as well. It's not only social media influencers on TikTok. No, there are artists as well. So it's like we're trying to be like kind of agnostic that 
you can just use our framework to access data cross-platform and make use out of it. Yeah. Right? So, and at this point in the ecosystem's development, are all of the platforms basically open from an API point of view, or are there challenges there around getting the data you need to make the app useful? Yeah, yeah, there are huge challenges, yeah. Because, I mean, if you look to Tencent and like outside of the box now to the Asian market, they don't even have APIs you could access, right? I mean, there's no, there's no public uh, API for TikTok. If you look at the data that is implemented in other music data analytic companies, they all scrape it or like get it somehow. And okay, it's public, so they can use it, but what, there's no, uh, it's, 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 and I think that's, a, that's, that's something I would love to see that it changes is some sort of accessibility um, for companies like us and for others as well, because I think that's a big problem for creators. You have so many silos uh, that are hard to access. They all look different. And, you know, I mean, silos is a word often used in this discussion, right? Data silos. But let's, let's put a, a nicer word on it. Let's call them islands. Yeah, all these data uh, islands. And even if the islands are really, really beautiful, if you have to travel too many throughout the day, you are tired at the end of the day, right? So we're trying to pull these islands together so you can wander around really easily. And then on top of that, we have an amusement park announcer. This is our feed. It tells you where the party is going on. So you don't have to wander around all the time. You can sit, play your guitar, and when something great is happening, you get up and take a look, right? So that's yeah. how I would describe it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. When, when you talk about the, um, the limitations around getting data from Tencent and TikTok and, and basically Asian companies, uh, do you have any insight as to what's going on there? Is that a cultural um, is that a cultural difference? Is it a, is it an approach to technology difference? Is it a regulatory difference? Is it open markets and open systems versus closed? Like, how do you categorize what's going on in that territory? And, and sort of as a follow-up question, um, does that mean you're just, you're faced with, a, with constant blind spots and what the data can tell you about what's going on in the, those regions? Yeah, I mean, the first question I would love to know. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a, it's a matter, I don't know if it's like a general cultural thing. I think it's just a matter of, of, of the leadership within the company. Uh, it's, a, it's a question of priority. And I, I can understand why. I mean, when Spotify built the Spotify for Artists app, I mean, it's a free app. You know, they don't get paid for it. And it, it costs a lot of money to build and maintain something like that. So I think uh, uh, companies are generally not incentivized to, to make the investment to build, to build apps like that, right? Um, and, and then on another level, you know, think about even the terms that are being used. Like it's a fuff there, it's a like there, uh, you know, it's a subscriber here, it's a follower there. On many different levels, uh, it, it, we, we're kind of trying to, I mean, to translate in some sense, to bring the data all together, to make it comparable. Because as I just mentioned, these islands, they all look different, you know, and you have, to, you have a learning curve on each of these islands to find yourself uh, on, the, on the backends. I mean, YouTube backend, it's a, it's a universe by itself and SoundCloud as well. Some offer, some sell you geographical information. Some will just show it to you. Some don't even provide it. Uh, some will turn it off. Twitter just turned it off a few years back. Facebook had it publicly. Now it's behind an authentication wall where you have to log in. 
Santa will only include if you pay the premium. So there are so many, and that's 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 really hard because our like the the biggest slack we get from our users are these types of problems the users ran into and they believe that we are yeah we, we didn't build it well right yeah. where are my where, where are my Spotify streams we don't have Spotify streams in the app because Spotify will not give it out to you SoundCloud gives it out YouTube as well so it's like really uh, it's a very it's 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 really hard to to make something that that is consistent throughout the product yeah it's a big challenge do you have to have formal relationships with any of the uh companies that that are data sources and do you have to pay for any of the data and no i mean it really depends uh, on on the type of data you are you are, you are drawing and to some degree uh, i mean um, YouTube and Twitter, for example, they are really open for, for that, that you use this data. They will limit the, the calls, the API calls, so how often. So there are some limits to the way. Uh, with other companies, you will have to have agreements to even get the data to use it in the first place. So it's a really, uh, you have to look from platform to platform. And uh, I was surprised because, you know, since we're having public money, uh, public funding, we really care a lot about the terms of service and we want to do everything right. But if you look around, I mean, I have the feeling that data in general is like the wild, wild west. It's something that is just, uh, uh, it's, it's something that is involving, right? Because it's a, still a pretty fresh industry, maybe, you know, two decades where stuff like that is even, um, is even yeah. Yeah, your your earlier your earlier point about not having live uh, data, I think, is interesting because I, as I've spoken to um, more and more companies on the agent and promoter side, especially during the pandemic, they've all talked about the the limitations of the insights they're able to get from streaming and social data. Meaning, um, and I actually think this goes to to another point you made about. Um, uh, what the different, even the nomenclature is on a different platform, a like versus a follow versus a listen, et cetera. I think those all imply different levels of quality of engagement. So especially when you move out of genre and you move more into like pop and mainstream music, um, you know, a massive social following or a massive streaming following may not translate into people who are actually interested in you to go see you in concert or to pay for a concert ticket. It could just be, they really like that song. That's that's that made it into the discovery playlist and they play the hell out of that song for a couple of weeks. And then a new pop song comes along. And so I think it's, I think that what, what I'm hearing in conversations is that there are definitely limits to the application or the limits of what the social and streaming data are telling telling the business in terms of being a real actionable insight. Does that resonate at all for you? Exactly. That's what I mean with engagement. Just because you have a lot of streams doesn't mean that your audience is engaged with you, with your art or the craft. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, exactly. And so does the platform, it, that, I guess, uh, so how do you solve for that? How do you, what's the signal to noise not ratio, but what's the filter? Is it is it overlaying multiple different sort of usage types and usage reports to get at some more fundamental truth? Like, you know, or do you leave the interpretation up to someone else and you just providing the the look? Yeah, that's a good question. 
because at the end of the day, if we get wrong data, we, we, it's hard for us to, to know if, if and, and there are mistakes. I mean, every, every service has every now and then some hiccups with maybe, and, and then it, it can happen that we just uh, put this information uh, forward, right? So that's true. I mean, we, to some extent, we just provide information cross-platform. And on the other hand, we use the data to make our own analysis. For example, we have an engagement score. What, what the engagement score does, it's for Instagram and Facebook and it's for stories. We put reach and uh, it's an algorithm that puts reach and interactions uh, in relation. So it helps you to understand which content you post online engages your audience most. So this is our own analysis. Whereas if we tell you about a new playlist and the playlist follower count is wrong, it will be wrong also in our app. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, what didn't I ask you? What's important for, uh, for listeners to know about your service, about your app? Um, you know, we get, a lot of, we get a lot of people from the business and a lot of creatives listening to the podcast. Um, what's the thing they need to know that I didn't, I didn't ask you? I think, I mean, uh, when I ho hopefully I didn't ramble on too, 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 too much. I, you, you, you asked the good questions. Uh, I think I, I would like to maybe add something on the quality of data. Mm. Because, you know, when we talk about the, the quality and, and, the, and the difference between the data, it, it, it really, it, it draws a picture that is not really, uh, it doesn't, doesn't look good, right? Because, I mean, we just spoke about it. Uh, some will give you this information, some won't, uh, some will name it this way, so... But if you look at how artists had access to this information before, we have a long way to go, but we are already solving a big problem. So if someone like releases music and, 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 and tries to be like, is eager to build a career, I think they should check us out because also the free version of Fortunes will already save you some time and will be fun using because we will let you know when things are moving in your career. So it's, it's as simple as it is, you know, you download the Fortunes app and you connect your channels. Um, it takes you like on average about a minute to get started. It's a little bit more like a little bit more nerdy or techy than other apps or games because you have to connect and you have to log in there and log in there. So there's some hurdle at the beginning, but that's basically it, you know. And if, you, if your career grows, you might, there might be a point where you say, hey, I, I want to push my music to more playlists and that's when people sign up, for example, and pay a little bit extra so they can access all the features. Yeah, yeah. And I would love, I, would, I don't know if this is the right place, but I would love to, to hear a little bit about what you are building because it's really interesting. I read, I'm, I don't if I remember the claim, like really exactly what, something about like real tickets, which, uh, which brought me like the memory of like tickets being sold on the market again, like people buying it as a bunch of tickets and then, right? Is this related to this? And um, that's a very interesting topic for me. Yeah, the initial, the initial problem that, that our company sought to solve was um, really getting people into the venues, like making sure that performances were full. And um, I think traditionally the live music business, so, so yield management essentially, and traditionally the live music business approached yield management as um, revenue maximization. You know, let's take the best inventory in the house and charge as much as possible for it and then find some other median price for the, for the rest of the inventory. And for a lot of reasons that I won't bore you with, but mostly having to do with the emergence of sort of enterprise level 
ticket brokers and speculators. Um, what wound up happening is there would be intense speculation on certain subsets of inventory within a venue, capital being turned, and the rest of that inventory basically just being dumped in the marketplace. And so you'd have these weird phenomena where um, tickets would feel scarce, but you'd get to a venue and it wouldn't be full. And it was because somebody bought up the inventory, wrung out their return from it, and then didn't even bother selling the other inventory. They just moved on to the next event. And so our initial proposition was, let's take some of the demand or let's try to let's try to capture the demand that goes to the secondary marketplace and then capture the supply that goes to the secondary marketplace and bring it back to the official uh, stakeholders in the event, the artist, the promoter, the venue, the festival, what have you. And the way that looked was um, when an event sells out, we put up a wait list on the event's website. So it's not the event sold out and now you go to a secondary website or a ticket broker, you get on a wait list and with a price, a dynamically generated price that you know in advance you're going to be charged if we can find a ticket for you. So that's capturing demand. On the supply side, we say to fans, hey, if your plans change, don't sell your tickets somewhere else. Just bring them back and we'll give you your money back. So as simplistic as that sounds, that's a revolution in the concert business. Yeah, you know, I, I always tell people I have 40 years worth of ticket stubs and they're all different shapes and sizes and colors, but they all say no refunds, no exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you can return your ticket. We buy it back. You're happy. And we've kept you from becoming an amateur ticket scalper. Um, and we take that ticket and we sell it to the next person on the wait list. They're happy because they know they got a real ticket at a fair price. So that was sort of the genesis of our company to try to solve that problem. Yeah. That's amazing because you sometimes kind of force people that had a ticket and can't go to the event for what reason soever, like force, they don't even want to sell it, resell it because it's a lot of effort as well. Now they can hustle if we bring it back. And yeah, that's, 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 that's really cool. Yeah, well, and, and the, other, the other problem too in that is that a lot of people didn't want to sell it and they didn't even bother. So they would just, they would just, throw the ticket. I can't go. Or they would try to give it away at work and like after post it on Facebook after a day or so of trying, most people don't have the time. They have more money than time. And so they stop trying. And as a result, they stop buying tickets far in advance. They say, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go to the show. And last time I couldn't get rid of the ticket and I'm not going to sell it online. That's a hassle. And it's bad for the industry. You know, if you if you let that build up over time, it's bad for the industry. So so we share a, um, a perspective in terms of wanting to empower artists and rights holders. Like we care very deeply about the about the ecosystem as well. We want those people to feel empowered, to feel better relationships with their partners, their fans. So I, I feel an affinity for for your perspective in that regard. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You 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 make sure uh, you try to have the best experience for artists when playing concerts. Because it's not only to get paid, it's to have a crowd, right? So if someone crowd. else uh, makes different decisions because they're just optimizing revenue, uh, it, it doesn't, like, it's a different perspective. So I really appreciate the way of thinking. Uh, it, it brings a lot of value to the, to the ecosystem. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for recognizing that. It's, it's the, the better experience for the artist because they play to a, a full house. 
And it's yeah. a better experience for the for the promoter as well, because if they have a full house, there's more people buying beer or soda or T-shirts or paying for parking. So they're having a healthier ecosystem. And I think it's better for the fan, not only the 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 ease of buying and selling tickets, but when you get to the show, it's it's just more exciting. <laughs> just I think overall, it's better energy for everybody. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And how do you measure how do you measure this support demands thing? Because that's hard, right? I mean, that's the core of how you you have like a fixed uh, ticket, like a, a, a bunch of tickets, or how does it work to actually? The core of our platform is a, a dynamic pricing algorithm, basically, um, that uh, understands. There's there's some things about the demand curve around a concert or other live event that is actually fairly predictable. Um, And, uh, and so the algorithm has learned when, when demand is highest, when, uh, when supply will start to come into the market. Um, you know, there's typically different phases of the, uh, of the, along the timeline when fans are thinking about buying and selling tickets mm -hmm. and then there's different phases, you know, and so the algorithm knows how to match those up to, to price accordingly. The whole goal of the algorithm is not to make as much money as possible from any given ticket. It's to match the right price with the right buyer at the right time. So it wants to optimize for conversion, not revenue. Um, yeah, okay. It wants to make money, but it doesn't, that's not, the goal is a full house at reasonable prices. Um, So, very cool yeah yeah very cool yeah thank you um thank you yeah. well thank you for your time it's great to learn about your company I yeah really thank you it. thank you for having me and for your interest uh yeah uh i wish you continued luck and um cool. as you come back from the pandemic uh you know stay safe um and we'll uh we'll follow up and let you know when this is going to go live um it'll probably be in the next week or two but uh we'll let you know perfect thank you so much Take care. Thank you, Florian Richling and the team at Fortunes. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the entire team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, and even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. Join us again next week. In the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. Thank you.